Welcome to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. A bill is moving in the Florida House that would criminalize, quote, adult live performances in front of children. Meanwhile, the state Senate version passed earlier this week. Now, while neither versions of this bill explicitly call out drag shows, opponents say the measure is part of a larger anti-LGBTQ agenda. Palm Bay Republican Representative Randy Fine is the bill's sponsor. In the state of Florida, what we are saying in this bill is keep it away from children. All this bill does. Now, opponents of the legislation, including Jacksonville Representative Angie Nixon, a Democrat, say parents should be able to make decisions about whether their kids attend events. People can love who they want to love. People can dress how the heck they want to dress. But I'm some deviant parent. Are you kidding me? That's absurd. So what does this legislation truly mean for big public events like pride parades that happen in different cities? And more broadly, how is it being received by Florida's large LGBTQ plus community? You can give us a call statewide at 305-995-1800. That's 305-995-1800. And you can tweet us at Florida Roundup. Your calls and tweets in a bit as we welcome reporter Catherine Varn covering this for USA Today. Hi, Catherine. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Also on the line, Patrick Givas, an organizer for Miami Beach Pride. Hi, Patrick. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, Catherine Varn, let's start with you. What exactly would this measure do if it's signed into law? So the text of the bill says that it would ban uh, children from attending what the bill calls adult life performances, which it defines as any show, exhibition, or other presentation that is performed in front of a live audience and in whole or in part depicts or stimulates nudity, sexual conduct, sexual excitement, and other lewd lewd acts. Um, It also prohibits shows, children attending shows with lewd exposure of prosthetic or imitation genitals or breasts. And that section in particular um, has advocates concerned that this will be used to ban children from attending drag shows, which will ultimately, um, they worry, have have a chilling effect on venues being willing to to, to host drag shows. So that's kind of the the thrust of the bill. Um, It also, the Senate sponsor added an amendment last week that would prohibit governments from issuing permits uh, for these adult live performances that uh, that children would attend. So that has uh, has pride uh, organizers concern that 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 will have a chilling effect on on pride events as well, which often incorporate drag shows. Um, That's a key part of, uh, you know, expression in the LGBTQ community. And if you've been to a pride event, there's usually, um, you know, there are usually drag shows. Um, So that's kind of the thrust of the bill. All right. uh, Here's some back and forth between Republican Randy Fine, the sponsor, and state rep Kristen Arrington, a Democrat from Osceola County. Take a listen. Would Broadway shows such as you know, Mrs. Doubtfire, Kinky Boots, would they be regulated and would they be included in this bill? Representative Fine. Thank you. If they engage in behavior as defined by the definition in the bill, yes. All right. Let's 
get Patrick Givas to weigh in now. Patrick, the Miami Beach Pride Parade is actually scheduled for this weekend. So this bill, as it moves through the process, what are your concerns about it? Well, we're watching very closely and really grateful to Catherine's work in, in covering this, but we are watching closely and, and, and are deeply concerned, deeply disappointed because the true reality is that this could fundamentally alter how prides function and, and that includes us in a big way. And so we have you know been very clear that please come this weekend and enjoy and make your voices heard because this could be the last pride as you know it in Miami Beach. And Patrick, I mean, you just mentioned that uh, this could be the the last pride. Um, I, I want to ask you, uh, how is the business community reacting to what could be this major crackdown, essentially, on LGBTQ culture in a place like Miami Beach that a lot of the tourism and the business it happens because it is so friendly to these communities. I mean, what 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 has the response been on the on the business side of this? That's a great question. You know, I think that we have been in the extremely fortunate place to have a lot of support from uh, from local businesses, from the city of Miami Beach, um, the Chamber of Commerce, as well as even the GMCVB, the the Greater uh, Convention Center and Visitors Bureau, that have been really supportive and. You know, I think there's still so much, there's so many questions that it's been really challenging to have a really firm stake in the ground, but everyone is is watching very closely. And, you know, there's no question that so many of our local businesses benefit. I mean, we were up to right before the pandemic, 170,000 people attended Miami Beach Pride. And that is a tremendous influx, um, you know, benefiting our local economy from the hotels, restaurants. So to have to fundamentally alter that because of this legislation could have a, you know, a, a really major impact on our local economics. And, you know, one thing is the the permitting part of this, you know, the, the pride parade in, in a place like Miami Beach. I mean, this happens on public roads usually. Um, it's, it's a public event. But how would this bill, if it becomes law, impact businesses that host drag drag shows drag brunches things like that that are very popular for sure i mean i think that that's that's a big concern and that you know if that element goes away you know i think we are, we live in a, an amazing place where we have the luxury of being able to go to you know venerable venues like palace and and the the our house brunch in winwood is consistently you know the, both of those places rank as must sees here so i think that from a business standpoint it could be really challenging and i think that we've tried to always make our position clear as miami beach pride that you know drag queens are very much a part of the lifeblood of our programs and we you know will never abandon them you know in, in the face of this so i think that we might have to get creative and the businesses might have to follow suit in terms of how to move forward. And I, I will mention our house you just mentioned in, in Miami's Woodenwood neighborhood is already facing state action um, before this law even passed, trying to go after the liquor license. I do want to go to the phones. You can call us at 305-995-1800. And we have Patty calling from Fort Pierce. Patty, thanks for calling the Florida Roundup. You're on the line. Thank you. This whole bill is a Drag is not inherently sexual. It is a performance and it has been part of theater history for centuries. So it is absurd for these people to be targeting anything in drag. 
as being somehow unnatural or damaging to children, and they need to let it go. Patty, thanks. Catherine Varn, uh, is there any language in the bill that defines adult live performances like, say, uh, a drag performance or a pride parade as somehow sexual? Because as the caller points out, uh, going back to Shakespearean times, these kinds of performances are a tradition in the theater world and in the culture, uh, and they are not... uh, sexualized performances they are just performances so that does the bill define pride parades for example or going to say a show at hamburger mary's as sexual yeah that's a great question and and the caller is exactly right i mean uh drag shows are, are certainly not inherently sexual and they are an art form that goes back centuries um so yeah there's there's nothing in the bill that that the drag isn't even mentioned in the bill and the Senate sponsor has made a big point of that saying the word drag doesn't appear. This isn't aiming, you know, this isn't, we're not trying to target a particular group. Um, however, the house sponsor has been much more um, explicit and, uh, and has said, I mean, when he first filed the bill, he said it, it was uh, in part to target uh, drag queen story hour, which is uh uh, a, a, a speaker series in which uh, drag queens read storybooks to children. Um, and I mean, he told me in an interview last week, uh, quote, I've never been to a pride parade, uh, but I have seen photos and videos from these things where you see participants behaving in ways that would not be appropriate in front of this bill. So uh, so he's pretty much, he's made it pretty clear that, that drag shows and pride events are part of the bill's aims. Um, but as far as what the bill text actually says, it, uh, it does not go into drag shows or pride events. Uh, it, it just talks about adult life performances, uh, which it defines as I read um, in my earlier answer, uh, but uh, advocates have still pointed out that that language is pretty vague and can be applied mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways and uh, have tried to get more specifics about, um, like we heard Rep. Arrington uh, uh, questioning uh, Representative Fine in the clip earlier, they've tried to get get more specifics. Hey, would this be banned? Would this be banned? Like, what about drag shows? What about Pride events? What about Broadway shows like Chicago? And the answers from the bill sponsors has just sort of been repeatedly uh, reading back from the bill. If, if it doesn't have any of these things listed in the bill, then it should be fine. Um, so it's been tough to get any specifics other than sort of what Representative Fine has said, um, you know, his motivations for filing the bill are. Speaking of Chicago, a listener tweets the Florida Roundup saying, I am going to have to leave the state where I pay taxes and want to raise my kids to show them works of art like Chicago and of the tropics and Les Mis. This makes me feel like I'm living in a police state and I'm sick to my stomach. Another point of view on the line, it's Jamie in Tampa. Hi, Jamie. What are your thoughts? Hey, Melissa. Hey, Danny. How are you guys doing today? All right. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. No problem. I think that we need to keep this away from kids, especially our youngest, because they're going to they're going to grow up in thinking that this is OK, that it's OK to act like this and be like this. To act and like what? To, to do the whole. To be, I mean, to be like gay, it's, it's, to be gay, to dress up. Uh, yes. Yes, what? yes, ma'am. Um, yes, ma'am. And, and, um, and a lot of people would say. But, Jamie, why can't kids just live in blissful ignorance? Well, it would be nice if they could. 
but they can't, especially with the technology today. I mean, kids are kids are hooked in. They're hooked up. They know. They know what it's all about. They know about these drag shows. But why, why do you think you, there's something wrong with being gay or dressing up in drag? Why is that well, necessarily I mean, bad? I mean, there has to, there has, well, Melissa, there has to be a cutoff point. I mean, you don't want to you know, teach this to, say, a three-year-old. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that it is that it is horrible per se, but I'm saying there does have to be some kind of a cutoff point, you know, maybe maybe an age limit to it. All right. You know, well, let's get uh, Patrick give us a uh, Miami Beach Pride uh, to respond to that. Go ahead, Patrick. Sure. You know, I think that we always try to honor everyone's you know perspectives, I think, even when they're perhaps a little misguided. You know, and I think that so much of what we try to offer as as a as a nonprofit organization through we've had two weeks of programming is finding those venues to let people express themselves as they are and to also be supportive. And so one of the things that is really important in our community is that if especially a child is, you know, you know, questioning or, or wanting to express themselves in certain ways, you know, we know that there's so much research that, you know, shows some of the the spectrum and fluidity as kids are curious and also it's the adults that are putting this extra meaning behind it a little boy may just want to wear a dress and that doesn't mean that he's gonna be gay gonna be a drag queen maybe you know it's it's just one day they want to see what it looks like and the next day he's playing with gi joes i think that there's so much that agreed we should let kids be kids and let them figure some things out on their own but in the instance of having them exposed to certain things to know that it's not not bad or and I think that's where it goes back to what Catherine was saying in some of this legislation that it's so vague and it could be applied in these different ways that that is actually the true harm to children I mean we all understand and agree that there should be limits and the same drag shows that you're going to see this weekend as part of our programming all of the queens are very well aware that this is a public event it's free to the public and there are children and there are absolute limits that should be appropriate for kids and we take that really seriously so i think a lot of it is misguided in that you know why can't a kid see someone in dress up they they don't put that much meaning behind it it's the adults that are that are doing the harm the number is 305-995-1800 and i want to go to john calling from st john's um john thanks for calling you're on the line yes good afternoon um, I grew up in Key West in the 70s and 80s, and uh, sometime during that period, the federal government set up roadblocks around Tavernier to look for immigrants. Uh, Key West got enraged. We ceded from the Union, declared ourselves the Conk Republic, and had a phenomenal party. Mm-hmm. If these Republicans do anything to affect the fantasy theft in Key West, I guarantee they will lose Monroe County south of Tavernier. There will be an outrage that they have never seen. And and and, but, ju- and just just for our listeners' sake, um, Fantasy Fest is an annual festival, really celebrates it, public nudity, drag queens. No, um, no, no, no. Sorry, I was down there when it started. Uh, if you think it's outrageous now, I can tell you it calmed down. <laughs> Back then, it was outright a and wonderful and if you couldn't handle it don't come but i know the people down there they will dust off those secession papers they will declare the conch republic again and we will have another fantastic party and the republicans will lose everything south of tavernier and monroe county thank you so much for the call john um 
Catherine, we're, we're we're running on we're running low on time here, but can you fill us in quickly on where this bill stands now and and what's next on it? Sure. So the bill has already passed the Senate. That happened um, either last week or earlier this week. Uh, on the House side, it was approved by a subcommittee on Wednesday, and its next stop is the Florida House floor on April eighteenth, uh, which is this coming Tuesday. Um, so and, and it's, Catherine, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, could we also know, because it's making national news, uh, late last night, Governor Ron DeSantis also signed into law a Florida six-week abortion ban. Tell us more about that quickly. Sure, yeah. So the legislature approved the ban uh, yesterday, uh, and it was a, it was approved by the Senate um, already. So it went through the House yesterday. And then, yeah, within just a few hours, um, it was sent down to the governor's desk and he posted a tweet of uh, himself signing it in a closed door ceremony just after 11 p.m. Uh, the ban will not go into effect or it it will the whether it goes into effect is contingent on the Florida Supreme Court and how they rule in a current lawsuit against the 15 week ban. So until that point, the 15 week ban is you can get an abortion up to 15 weeks of pregnancy. But if that six week ban does go into effect, um, it, it does have exceptions for rape, incest and human trafficking up to 15 weeks. Uh, and there are several requirements for what documentation you would need to produce to prove to prove that. Um, and there are a couple other things, such as you have to see a, a, a physician twice um, leading up to your abortion procedure. And, and there has to be at least 24 hours between each appointment. Um, and so a lot of Democrats and, and abortion advocates access advocates have said it's basically a de facto ban, not only because a lot of women don't know they're pregnant uh, before six weeks of pregnancy, but also because there are a lot of requirements that take time. And time is really of the essence when we're talking about a six week ban. Time is of the essence. Uh, Patrick, in the meantime, as you say, uh, the Miami Pride Parade is on. And of course, other major Florida cities hold similar events. Yes, we are going ahead as planned. This is our 15th anniversary and we are going big and, and we would encourage everyone who's who's listening to come enjoy. You know, our festival is free. Our parade starts at noon on Sunday along Ocean Drive. And it's also a great time. We have uh, uh, elected representatives on both sides of the aisle who will be writing. So we are asking for folks to uh, do a little bit more homework, do a quick Google search and cheer on those who have been in support of our, our rights and ask questions of those who haven't and try to come to some additional understanding so that we can, you know, make this all better here in the state of Florida. Well, thank you both. Reporter Catherine Varn covering this issue for USA Today and Patrick Givas, organizer for Miami Beach Pride, will follow this measure. Thank you both for being with us. Sure thing. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Later in the hour, what's going on with THC and hemp in Florida? But up next, lawmakers taking away local control over renters' rights. That's next on the Florida Roundup. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. And I'm Alyssa Ross in Jacksonville. Well, as rent prices have shot up dramatically over the last few years, Cities and counties across Florida have been working to pass protections for people who rent their homes. And these local protections range from landlords having to notify tenants when a new owner buys a building to having the right to repair issues on a property to requiring landlords to give months of notice before a dramatic rental increase. Right now, here's the thing. A bill that's moving through Tallahassee could soon 
put all of those new tenant protections at risk as the state is considering an outright ban on local measures to protect tenants. Here's the bill's sponsor, Panama City Republican Senator Jay Trumbull. There is a ordinance in Dade County that says if a renter decides that they want to do an improvement on their property, that they can balance that against um, their, their rent with no controls, no permits, no things like that. And so what we're trying to accomplish are preempting those types of things, starting at the state level. The bill passed and is now in the Senate Rules Committee, and its House counterpart has passed two committees so far. We want to hear from our listeners on this one. You can call us at 305-995-1800, and you can also tweet us at Florida Roundup. Joining us now to talk about this, we welcome Colleen Wright, who's a reporter with the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for coming on, Colleen. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined by Sandra Denise, the executive director of the Miami Worker Center. Sandra, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. And also Alana Greer, director of the Community Justice Project, a legal group that's worked on tenants issues in Miami-Dade County. Sandra, Alana, thanks you. Thank you both for coming on. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So, Colleen, let, let's start with you. We've seen several local governments across the state begin to enact these local rent organ ordinances, um, including Pinellas County. Can you tell us a little bit about what the county law does in Pinellas County, what protections it puts in place for renters there? Absolutely. So the Pinellas County Commission uh, back in August passed its own Tenants Bill of Rights, and that would that would be in effect for all 24 cities in Pinellas County. Um, and it basically gives renters a lot of protections. Um, the biggest ones being that landlords can't discriminate against renters who have government vouchers um, that are for a duration less than a year or um, before a landlord could say maybe, uh, you know, I, I can't take this government voucher because it would affect my insurance costs. That gets rid of that. Um, now, landlords have to accept those vouchers. Um, there's pretty strong uh, protections there. And they, they went into effect in October. Um, however, they were following what St. Petersburg did about three years ago, three, four years ago. Um, but actually, the Pinellas County tenants version is actually stronger than the cities, even though they were following the city's lead. And, and Sandra, I, w- I want to bring you into this. The The Miami Workers Center last year organized and got the Miami-Dade County Commission to pass really sweeping new protections for people who rent in the county. And I, I do want to mention that that package passed unanimously with Democrats and even the chair of the Miami-Dade Republican Party voting in support of it. Um, can you walk us a little bit through what went into organizing for that victory and what it meant for residents and tenants once it once it passed? Um, absolutely. We're super proud of the Miami-Dade um, Tenant Bill of Rights and the champions, both Commissioner Monasim, then Commissioner Monasim and Rahel Regalado. Um, we know that what tenants are experiencing in Miami-Dade County and throughout this state um, is not only rent hikes, um, what we call rent gouging, but also conditions issues where there are lack of repairs, lack of maintenance, harmful and unsafe conditions um, that exist um, in our in our housing supply. And so in um, at the during the pandemic, late 2020, Miami Workers Center knew that communities were experiencing issues and our organizers knocked thousands of doors and asked them what were their primary concerns. 
and people were home. They weren't working, so they had to face the conditions issues in their homes. Um, and overwhelmingly, people lifted up housing. And from there, um, we started to bring forward, ask them what were their priorities in terms of housing. And from the stories from tenants on the ground, from North Miami to Hialeah to Sweetwater, that's how the Tenant Bill of Rights came about. We launched a campaign in July 2021. Um, after months of listening, um, we launched we launched pu publicly at the government center, and then in May 2022, um, after months of meetings, months of um, mobilizations at the county, press conferences. Um, and even standing up to um, landlords um, that were violating some of the demands that were in the Tenant Bill of Rights, um, we were able to pass it in May 2022. And I want to give the, the phone number in case we're getting any calls on this. It's 305-995-1800, 305-995-1800. Um, I, I want us to take a moment here because we're talking about a, a, a state bill that would undo everything that Centra was just talking about and, and what's happened in other parts of the state. Um, let's listen to what the Florida Apartment Association says about why they're supporting this bill. And we're going to hear from Jimmy Chestnut speaking in a committee in the Florida House, and he's the president of that group. Florida has over 400 cities and 67 counties. If each local government enacted separate landlord-tenant policies, it could quickly create a patchwork of consistent policies across the state that will cause confusion for residents and landlords. Protecting this regulatory consistency is critical to ensure that Florida remains a desirable place for housing providers to develop and continue to offer housing opportunities for Florida's growing population. Uh, Alana, I, I want to bring you into this. Um, in, you were in Tallahassee this week um, meeting and speaking to lawmakers and, and, and talking to other tenant groups uh, around the state. Um, what do you make of this argument that it's too complicated for corporations to have local governments putting different regulations in place across the state. What do you make of it? You know, it's a really upsetting argument and ingenuous, uh, disingenuous argument. We were up there with almost 100 tenants and local homeowners from across the state um, that are by no means confused uh, by what these local ordinance means. They've helped shape them. They've helped draft them. They've helped pass them. Um, and they benefit from them now. Their housing stability rests on a lot of these protections. Um, and the only, let me, let's be clear, the only folks that are impacted by this, this argument about consistency are large corporate landlords who own property across multiple uh, counties, multiple cities. Uh, those folks have their own legal departments. They have plenty of folks that can help interpret these rather simple protections at the local level. Um, and if we're really that concerned about consistency, why aren't they asking to put these laws into, into state protection, which we've been asking for for years? Rather, they're asking to roll back um, and really just leave a void where renters' rights have stood based on these local ordinances. It's, it's a really disingenuous argument. It's really upsetting. Um, and, you know, we've also seen these same apartment association and realtor association lobbyists lobbying for their own ordinances on the local level. So they don't mind inconsistency when it benefits them, but when it comes to protecting renters and shifting the balance of power, that's when they're asking the state for consistency. If you're just tuning in, right now on the Florida Roundup, we're talking about an effort in Tallahassee to take away local control from cities across Florida that have tried to pass measures protecting tenants. What do you think about a tenant's bill of rights? 
How much are you paying for rent? What do you think about these protections being removed? Your calls in a minute. Give us a call statewide, 305-995-1800. Now, uh, cities and counties across the state have passed tenant protections. Let's listen to Hylia Mayor Steve Bovo. He's a Republican. Here's what he had to say when Hylia decided to put in protections for tenants after residents saw huge rent spikes. Any one of us that has to experience a $600 increase in rent, that would be devastating. If my mortgage company told me tomorrow they're going to increase me $600, I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs. But I understand capitalism and I understand the free market and we have a demand that is not being met by the supplies that we have out there. Okay, Sandra Denise, what about that argument? Uh, because you would think this would be a bipartisan issue to make cities affordable for folks. But what about his comments? No, I, I think it for it's bipartisan for people on the ground. We know that people with different politics in Miami-Dade County understand that people need time. Um, the, the, the economics of Florida, where people work, don't make sense for the 20, 30, upwards of 70% rent increases that we've seen with little to no notice. It is through the Tenant Bill of Rights that we actually got 60-day notice so that people could have time and notice of rent increases, of evictions that were coming. Um, Previous to that, it was 15 days. Um, And so we know that people on the ground, no matter where they are across the state, needed and urged our elected officials to respond with the Tenant Bill of Rights. And then even in Hialeah, we had a lot of um, folks experiencing doubling of the rent. And we went to Hialeah and we saw that they were also in support right before we got went to the county. And so um, this is, again, counter to what people want. People who live in Florida, people who work in Florida, people who are raising their children in Florida believe that as tenants, they should also be protected in a state that overwhelmingly sides with landlords. And we're not talking about your everyday mom and pop landlords who own one property. We're talking about your corporate landlords who overwhelmingly violate the rights of tenants by by not repairing their properties, by not giving them notice. Um, And we disagree with that. All right. uh, uh, 305-995-1800. Matthew and Castleberry. Matthew, how are you? Go ahead. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I just had a question about like the possibility that this actually stands up in a higher court if it was challenged, because it seems like the politicians that are trying to get this passed are ones that would be very upset if the federal government tried to step in on states' rights to regulate this kind of thing. So it just seems kind of uh, kind of hypocritical for them to come in and say that everyone in the state, no matter what their county or their local ordinance would want to be or has possibly been passed already, should conform to a much looser, much more landlord-friendly uh, state law. Um, and it just seems like I would hope that this uh, either doesn't pass or or can get uh, get turned down by a higher court if that's possible. What are the chances that it becomes challenged from like these local governments that are yeah. obviously trying to pass tenant protection? Great question from Matthew and Castleberry here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Colleen Wright, Tampa Bay Times. This issue of preemption coming out of Tallahassee isn't just impacting tenants' rights in Florida cities. We could point to all manner of issues where uh, the state legislature has preempted local governments, has told local governments home rule, which has long been 
uh, deeply held conservative value, they've said to these cities, no, home rule is no more. So what about that caller's question? Uh, why are we seeing this trend in Florida so aggressively? And what are the chances of lawsuits on this? Absolutely. Great point. I was I was about to say that it's not just, you know, tenants advocates who are upset or dismayed or livid about um these protections that they fought for kind of being eliminated just like that if this gets passed. But it's also frustration for local control. You just heard um, a, a Republican mayor in Hialeah saying that he needs to enact this for his city. Um, it's the same feeling here. Well, you know, we have a Republican on city council. Uh, he was against this personal idea, but he is against the idea of preemption in general. And it gets to the point where w- what is the point of local control? As for pushing back, um, you know, local governments take it seriously when they say that they're stewards of taxpayer dollars at least they're supposed to so you know litigation could end up being you know thousands or maybe even millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars wasted so nobody really wants to go down that route um there's also fear of being removed from office like what we saw with the hillsborough county state attorney with andrew warren um it's it's a big uphill battle that we've seen that the state will pick these fights with local governments and it's a matter of at least from the politicians level from from what i've how i've spoken with uh city council members about this is that do you pick that fight and and kind of raise a public stink about this for tenants rights or do you try to work within the bounds of what you are allowed to do um and so i don't know if it's surprising to anyone that most people would rather not be removed from office and go the route of kind of the path of least resistance of trying to do work without being preempted by the government or being removed from office the number is 305-995-1800. Uh, we have Michael calling from, from Miami. Michael, thanks for calling. You're on the line. Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to have a, a different perspective from a small proprietorship that owns maybe 9, 10 buildings, 60, 70 rentals, family-run business. As I speak to you now, I'm in my pickup truck working on my one of my properties. And while we charge below market rents because we like to have stability, it's no surprise to anyone that my insurance has doubled over the course of the year. Anytime I do a repair, it's astronomical, the, the materials. Everything is super expensive. And yet, you know, to have, and we try to keep the rents reasonable, but to put limits on me, most of these businesses that house people here are not multi-corporations. They're not bad guys. They're just working mom and pops, you know, that on paper, yeah, we're loaded. We got money. But in reality, we work on a salary and we keep costs down and we try to give good service. And it just isn't fair that every time I listen to a program, it just sounds like we're the bad guy. Like we're well, gouging people. We're not doing repairs th- when it's quite the opposite, I think. Thank, thank you for your call, Michael. And, and I will just mention for our listeners, this, this is not rent control at all. None, none of these bills are, are, are talking about rent control. Um, uh, Sandra, I want to go to you. Um, I mean, you built to get this off the ground in, in Miami-Dade County, really a grassroots, local-level movement to get this passed. Um, what does it mean for that kind of mobilizations if the state just comes in after the fact and nullifies everything that you've done? Right. I think that um, we're organizers at the at the Miami Workers Center, and we know that the communities that we're talking about are experiencing um, the pain of living in a state that don't have any protections for tenants or little to none. And so this is disheartening and 
um, we organize and we go back to the drawing board and we continue to bring our issues forward and we continue to find a path to ensure that um, our people are safe, they're protected and they have a place to live. Um, that is not negotiable for us. We believe housing is a human right, that people should be able to live, eat, breathe, play in the places where they're working. Um, and unfortunately, we're seeing mass displacement um, in our in our county and throughout the state because people can't afford and they can't especially afford some of the housing that is available um, in the conditions that they're in. Um, and if, you know, quite frankly, into the caller, um, I'm sure the caller um, believes um, that they're doing their, their, their best. And I'm sure there are landlords that are, and we are not talking about those landlords. We're talking about your corporate landlords who do do 80%, 70% rent hikes with 15 day notice. We think that's unconscionable, right? That shouldn't happen in our state. We're talking about folks who the ceiling has collapsed. Who's responsible when a ceiling collapses? Got right? it. So those are the things that we're talking about. Thank you. I, I want to thank our, our guests. We have uh, Sandra Denise just talking there, the executive director of the Miami Workers Center, Colleen Wright, reporter with the Tampa Bay Times, and Alana Greer, director of the Community Justice Project. Thank you all three for coming on. And we'll be right back talking about hemp in Florida. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. Florida lawmakers are considering a bill that would dramatically reduce the amount of THC allowed in retail hemp products. Supporters say it would establish a clear lane for the hemp sector, which some people have likened to the Wild West as it is right now. While it's a move that some business owners say would ruin their livelihoods. So what's this all about? Well, HB 1475 would limit the amount of THC in hemp products in the state to not exceed 5 milligrams per serving or 50 milligrams per package. It would also prohibit those products for anyone under the age of 21. Supporters say the measure is to help protect children from hemp products. And just some numbers here. According to a report done by hemp business researcher Whitney Economics, the hemp industry employs more than 100,000 workers in Florida and generates $3.5 billion in wages. Yeah, big business. With more, let's welcome Sally Kent Peebles. She's a Florida attorney focusing on cannabis business and regulatory law at Vicente Cedarburg LLP. Sally, hi, good to be with you. Good morning. What are your questions about hemp, Florida? 305-995-1800. And Sally, can you explain there is a difference between hemp and other cannabis products, correct? Absolutely. So hemp is a species of the plant cannabis sativa. And cannabis sativa has hundreds of chemical compounds in it called cannabinoids. And two of those cannabinoids that get a lot of press are THC and CBD. Um, and if a plant has over a certain percentage of THC, then that plant is referred to as, as marijuana. Anything with under a certain um, threshold of THC is referred to as hemp. So that's really the difference between the two. And hemp is regulated by the Department of Ag, while marijuana is regulated by the Department of Health. What's the rationale behind this bill that these hemp products need to be out of the hands of minors? So historically, under our prior administration that was run by Nikki Freed and Holly Bell, you know, Florida had a very permissive interpretation of what novel and intoxicating cannabinoid products would be allowed and in, to be sold in the state of Florida. 
And because of this, businesses from all over the U.S. flocked to um, to open up shop in Florida as their states were figuring out how to really regulate these products. And now Florida has a new um, FDAX commissioner, Wilton Simpson. And as with any new change of administration, that new administration is going to review their policies. And based on comments made by this commissioner at a press conference he held, um, and in light of this new um, hemp bill, it appears that this new administration strongly supports curbing the market as it has been allowed to exist thus far. And they really are focusing on prohibiting intoxicating cannabinoids. And the hemp program, as you pointed out, really started off with a bang. Uh, big business. What? But what is the status of the hemp program today? You know, currently there are 600 hemp cultivation licenses, um, and I believe there's over 9,000 permitted hemp businesses that are selling hemp products across the state. Um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, over 100,000 Florid Floridians are employed by the hemp industry. And I have read um, before that the hemp program has a $13.7 billion economic impact on the state um, and over $3 billion, you know, in, in wages. So um, I think what it's, what's key to understand here is that they're one of the cannabinoids that a lot of these hemp, um, hemp companies are selling is called Delta-8. And Delta-8 is um, found in hemp, but in very small trace amounts. So generally, um, to make it cost effective, they convert CBD to Delta-8. And that's just how it's made. And a lot of these products that are making money are Delta-8 products. Um, this new bill is by definition, they are prohibiting synthetically created cannabinoids. So Delta-8 would no longer be able to be sold in Florida. And that's why a lot of these hemp, hemp businesses are upset because what they're trying to sell will no longer be permitted here. And it will most likely make them close up shop and leave. And, and, and you know, just to, to help people conceptualize this, um, you know, there's there's a smoke shop around the the corner from my house. I go in there every once in a while. There are Delta Eight things on the on the counters. I mean, if this does pass, basically everything on those counters that I'm talking about that would just be banned. It would be illegal. What's legal today would be illegal tomorrow. Yes, it it would it would it would certainly change the landscape of what they're able to be sold. I mean, they could still sell some hemp products and per this bill, it would be only to those over 21 and older. They would have to change packaging and labeling. So it would, would not be attracted to children. And while, while that may seem smart, it also is going to place a lot of, um, you know, a lot of expenses on these companies to make these changes. Um, and they would go into effect July 1st, 2023. But I also I think it's important for your listeners to understand that just because this hemp bill has been proposed, it certainly doesn't mean it's going to pass. Mm -hmm. You know, bills are passed. Bills are proposed all the times that fail. Um, and there is a ton of pushback, understandably, from the hemp industry on this. Um, but I think the primary takeaway is that this administration is indicating that they intend to curb the program away from how it's currently being run, whether this mm -hmm. bill passes or not. We'll see how it may change um, some rules implementing the hemp bill moving forward. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. What about the push to legalize marijuana in the state for recreational use? Where's that? Um, I think that's going swimmingly well. <laughs> Smart and Safe Florida did file the adult personal use of marijuana, um, and they have been gathering signatures over the past year. They have, as of a couple weeks ago, it looks like they have about 635,000 signatures, and they need 891,000 
um, to be able to submit it to the Florida AG, which will then petition the state Supreme Court for an advisory opinion. Um, that is the point where the um, previous two pushes to legalize um, stalled because uh, they did not. The Supreme Court did not believe that they um, passed the clarity requirement. Now, uh, we, we would if we became a, a recreational cannabis state. That is now what about twenty states have reached that benchmark. Is that right, Sally? Absolutely. It's been 20 and we would be the 21st, hopefully. But, you know, what we might be okay. on the ballot at the same time as other states as well. And interesting. And, and, and Sally, um, I mean, where is Governor DeSantis on this? And, and I ask it because when he came into office, he did break with the administration of, of Rick Scott saying, you know, we need to, uh, you know, get moving on medical marijuana. He's hasn't talked a whole lot on on hemp. Um, at least that I've seen. I mean, wh where is the governor's office on all this? You know, I haven't talked to them about the hemp issue, you know, surrounding this new bill. But I, I think DeSantis was was hired to make sure what the people vote in is passed. I think when he was brought in, the the you know, voter initiative constitutional amendment was not m making progress forward. So he understandably wanted to make sure it did so. He also allowed for flour where it was not originally allowed to be sold. Um, when it comes to adult use, my understanding is they, they might not be very excited about it, but I think that if they um, you know, Florida voters were presented with this option and they passed that he would, you know, be diligent and make sure it was implemented in a very reasonable way. And well, as you've talked about before, this is one of those rare bipartisan issues, isn't it, where there's widespread support for full legalization and making these products more available? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I would say about two thirds of Americans support legalization, you know, per the recent polls. And you know, this this includes a majority in every age group, every education level, every income level that has been surveyed. It's just no longer really a stoner issue. And notably, 48 percent of Republicans um, support the legalization of, of marijuana. Um, I think the it's not just a body autonomy issue. It's also, you know, if people really think that this 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 substance is an issue, then why the heck would you want a criminal to be the only people in, in charge of it, right? You know, it should be sold in a regulated environment by someone who's testing that product, by someone who's placing a label on that product. And most critically, someone, you know, a company that's going to card someone when they walk into um, their store and make sure they're over 21 to buy med medical marijuana. So, I think I think that it's a it's a reasonable um, step forward if the state does decide to to legalize. And I hope they do. And it, it's kind of an irony or I don't know if it's an irony or what to call it. But uh, marijuana dealers, street level dealers are actually for keeping it illegal because it keeps them in business. <laughs> is, that, is, I know. That, is that right? Sally? <laughs> yeah, we, we've always laughed that, you know. Um, the cartels are, are going to, you know, come after us for legalizing marijuana because we're really you know, taking money out of their pockets and putting it in the state coffers where we can um, you know, put that money towards recreational facilities, redoing streets. I mean, the sky's the limit for what this income could do for the state. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I think people need to realize that this, th these products and, and marijuana is, is, is here to stay. It's going to be sold. It's going to be consumed. Let's just make sure that it's sold and consumed in the safest possible way. And do you feel that's being done with the vertical integration setup that we have now for licensing and distribution in the state? 
I do. I do think that's a great way of doing it. You know, that way we know um, we identify who's doing it through background checks. We have strict security guidelines. We have um, labeling and testing requirements. Um, none of those things exist in, in the illicit market right now. Um, and, you know, I think that while Florida does have, you know, limit ownership to only a few at this time, um, you know, we're all just trying to figure out how to how to regulate this and the state's doing the best it can. I, I do hope that new um, in, entrants will be allowed. They are having an upcoming application process that's, you know, literally in two weeks. I think the, the deadline for submitting is April 28th. Um, they'll be issuing an additional 22 licenses. So. Um, that means the medical marijuana program in Florida is about to double in the next year. About to double. So well, think, thank you, as yeah. always, for being our Cannabis Connection. She's Sally Kent Peebles. She is an expert on cannabis law with Vicente Cedarberg. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's our show. The Florida Roundup is produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz, Bridget O'Brien, and Natu Tway are producers. WLRN's Vice President of Radio and our Technical Director is Peter Mayers. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Brady Corum. Richard Ives answers the phones. Our theme music is provided by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Libos at AaronLibos.com. I'm Danny Rivero. And I'm Melissa Ross. And thanks for listening, calling, and tweeting the show. We'll be back next Friday at noon. Have a great weekend.